Well, howdy, Huda Thunkers. This is the host of the Huda Thunker podcast um, coming at you with episode 128 titled Mary Vincent Refused to Die. Uh, little warning this episode features ma mature material. It is about a woman's incredible story of survival, but what she had to do to survive, or what she had to survive, might be shocking for some listeners. So just uh, just know that it could, there's a um, sexually sexual abuse um violence so just so you know and if you're not if you don't want to hear about that stuff or if that might be too problematic for you that's you know skip it maybe that's best for you now for the recommendation segment the segment where i talk about something that has absolutely nothing to do or at least sometimes it has absolutely nothing to do with the main event this week i recommend you don't give your money to old friends jk uh, if you don't know what i'm talking about then refer back to last week's episode 127. No, this week I recommend um, that you watch The Patient. It's the name of a show on Hulu, The Patient, starring Steve Carell and Dom... Dom... I don't know how to pronounce it. Dom Hall Gleason. <laughs> the actor's first name is spelled D-O-M-H-N-A-L-L. -L. Steve Carell's character is this well-known successful therapist who wakes up one day in a basement he doesn't recognize and chained to a bed he finds himself held prisoner by a patient of his who reveals he is a serial killer with an unusual request to curb his homicidal urges uh, so far there's only about two episodes out actually there was two when i wrote that as of i think today there's three episodes out but i found myself wanting to see more which is good so they're only about a half hour long not i mean a lot of people what they like to, <laughs> what people like in a recommendation is multiple seasons of a great a great show that you can just sit down and watch for days. You can just watch hours, you know, multiple seasons, dozens of episodes. But if in order for those those episodes to happen, the show has to come out. So right now, I mean, it's not money episodes of it. You can only binge it for a total of like an hour and a half now. Uh, but it's good. It's pretty cool. It's Steve Carell. He plays a therapist and yeah, chained to a to the bed in a basement of one of his patients who is a serial killer. So Shannon and I love it. Shannon is a therapist, so I feel like that she likes it maybe a little bit more um but i like it just as a regular person so check it out now for the main event this episode mary vincent refused to die in september of 1978 a 15 year old mary vincent has just run away from her home in nevada she was leaving her grandfather's home and trying to go back to her home in Nevada. Mary reaches Modesto, California before she, like most runaways, decides to return home. She begins to hitchhike her way back to Nevada. Now we think of hitchhiking as a, as so dangerous that it's almost taboo. In the 1930s and 40s, hitchhiking was at its peak thanks to poverty from the Great Depression. People hitchhike out of necessity. In the 1950s, America saw prosperity and hitchhiking became less popular. But then in the 60s and 70s, there was a cultural resurgence of, the, of hitchhiking. Uh, during this time period, it was common to see people along the road with headed south or simply need a ride written on signs um, along the interstate. It became less popular after the 70s, but it still remained a relatively viable means of transportation throughout the 1980s and into the early 90s. Nowadays, hitchhiking is perceived as dangerous. And a few drivers are uh, willing to pick someone up. Police departments discourage it, actively discourage it, and many states explicitly ban it. Uh, most hitchhikers have no other option and do so as a last resort. So hitchhiking is a bit weird. 
And anytime I talk about hitchhiking um, nowadays, young people may not even know what the heck I'm talking about. You would just walk along the side of the road with your thumb up. People would pull over, give you a ride. But I remember as early as just a little kid that I was you know, told, don't do that, especially as a kid. But even as an adult, uh, a lot of people uh, caution against it. It's a lot more common against trucker societies. Truckers, they're, they're, they drive all across the country. They're going someplace. They'll pick you up maybe. Uh, but it, it, it can be dangerous. However, for the most part, most, most instances of hitchhiking, not dangerous. I've actually participated. Uh, haven't been the hitchhiker, but my dad and I, we're both fully grown men. You know, we both lift weights. And we were just my dad and I were driving. We're on vacation to Montana, hiking through mountains. It was a great vacation after college. And we picked up a dude. We didn't drive very far, just a couple miles. Didn't talk much. Guy smelled like BO. It's okay. You're hitchhiking. And he's a friendly guy. We dropped him off at a campsite. Felt like we did so. We helped somebody out, my dad and I. Pretty cool. However, like I said, we're two very <laughs> large dudes. We lift weights. We had uh, bear mace, all kind of stuff on us. We felt very, my dad said, are you okay with this? I said, yeah, pick him up. Why not? That way I can say I helped someone hitchhike. So it's very uncommon today, but for the most part, it is safe. Back in the 1970s, much more common. Mary Vincent was hitchhiking, but she was 15. She weighed very little. She's very, you know, slender girl. She was a girl. Um, and so it didn't turn out so well. But back then, even as a 15-year-old girl, not uncommon. She held a sign that read, Going South, as she trekked along the road. Then a man driving a blue van pulled up next to her. This man's blue van was virtually empty, with lots of room in the back. But when he pulled off the road to three hitchhikers, all with signs indicating they were going in the same direction, he said he could only he only had room for one. Mary took the opportunity. The other hitchhikers behind Mary uh, were men, and they cautioned Mary from getting into a van that would only allow one person, a girl, to climb aboard. But, you know, Mary's 15. She simply did not want to stay out all night. She's 15, she, so it's kind of dumb not thinking about all the risks. Uh, the driver was an older guy. He looked like sort of like a grandfather type, so she trusted him, just wanted to get out of there. Didn't, didn't want to spend another day on the road. So finally thinking she could reach home instead of spending another night out all alone. She fell asleep in the back of this guy's van, blue van. When she woke up in the back of the blue van, she immediately realized from the road signs that the man had started heading the wrong way down a deserted road. She confronted him, said, look, you know, you're going the wrong way. You know it. I know it. What are you doing? What's the deal here? Still waking up and, you know, not really know where she's at, but grasping her situation more clearly, she sets her mind on escape. She notices her tennis shoes are untied, thinking if she can just tie her shoes, she'll be able to outrun the elderly dude, out-of-shape driver. Um, he pulls over. She opens the passenger door and starts tying her shoes, and she leans down to tie her shoes, and darkness. Turns out a sledgehammer had hit her in the back of the head. This is where the story goes bad. It already was going that way, but now that we have actual assault. She was able to regain consciousness after the blow, but quickly realized that she was tied up and being raped by the driver when she came to after the sledgehammer. Six times. Mary remembers six times she was raped by this man. At some point, she did ask why he was doing it, but he didn't respond. Throughout repeated rapes, Mary pleaded to be set free. Just set me free, she told him. She and, and she said, I won't tell anyone. But the driver never responded. Mary must have felt like dying at that moment. Um, yeah, a lot of despair. Eventually, the driver fell asleep, 
but being completely tied up, Mary was unable to escape while he was passed out. She stayed awake the entire night, unable to sleep for obvious reasons. She watched the sun rise through the windows of the van. The driver woke up and pulled Mary's naked and bleeding body out of the van into the empty desert landscape. The driver finally gave Mary a response. You want to be set free? I'll set you free. Then goes to his toolbox and pulls out a hatchet. The driver grabs Mary's left arm and swings at it twice at the forearm with his hatchet. Mary begins to fall to the ground from shock, but reaches for the driver's own arm. She remembers gripping his arm tightly, and she remembers gripping it. But it didn't brace her fall. Her body kept falling. She didn't know why. She looked down at her arm to see that it was gone. Her left arm was gone. It was just a bloody stump. It was gushing blood straight from the middle of her forearm. That's when she started to feel the burning, sharp pain hit her arm. That's when the pain set in. As blood poured from her body, she felt hot, hot pain. She didn't lose consciousness, but instead felt the excruciating pain. Her left arm um, had been severed just below the elbow. So that's horrifying. And to hear that she didn't even know that it was gone. Yeah. Um, that is when the driver took Mary's right arm. This time, Mary had no doubt in her mind what he planned to do with it, and she freaked out. Instead of just being in shock, she was she was started kicking, screaming for the driver to stop or someone would hear her, but it didn't stop him. No one heard. No one was around. In fact, because she was kicking and screaming, it took the driver much longer to sever her right arm. Multiple hacks over and over, hacking again at her forearm. It took many swings for him to sever her right arm. When it was completely severed, Mary was still conscious and bleeding. She looked over to the driver and saw he was like flicking his arm for some reason. He he had gone back over to his toolbox and he was shaking his arm. She didn't know why. She squinted and focused to see why her severed arm, left arm, was still gripping onto his arm and would not let go. It was no longer attached to her body, but it was still gripping onto his arm. Mary stayed still when the driver walked back over to her and started to drag her away from the van. He must have thought Mary was dead or unconscious when he threw her body off a 30-foot cliff and then drove away. But she wasn't unconscious. She wasn't dead. She was still there. She was still conscious for all of it. At the bottom of a cliff, of the cliff, four ribs broken, going into shock from blood loss, most would die in this situation, but something in Mary told her that she had to survive. She knew that if she died, the driver would just get away with it and he would just do it to someone else. She couldn't let that happen. When she was exhausted, dehydrated, hungry, in tremendous amount of pain, lightheaded from blood loss, raped, mutilated, and thrown off a cliff left for dead, Mary Vincent got to work surviving. First, she took what was left of her arms and shoved them in the dirt to try and stop the bleeding. Infection may set in, but blood loss was the more time-sensitive issue here. The dirt mixed with her own blood turned into mud and helped stop the bleeding. I thought that was the most badass detail of this story. That The first thing she does is just shove her bloody, pain-riddled stumps of arms into the dirt. That helped stop the bleeding. When she started to crawl up the cliff without her, without any hands, this took quite some time, and by the time she reached the road, night had set in. 
It was pitch black, but she did hear heavy traffic somewhere off in the distance. She followed the noise. She walked and walked for over three miles until uh, she started to see daylight. She kept her arms in the air so that the blood uh, would leave her body, uh, you know, slowly, slower than if she would just have him at her side. She saw her first car. Remembers it was a red convertible. Funny the details you remember. The passengers of this car were two young guys. They took one look at Mary, covered in dirt and blood, naked, and waving two amputated arms in the air, screaming for help. The two men in the car sped off without so much as a word to Mary. Now, we, went, we might say that's cowardice, and it, it, it is, but you have no idea how you'd react in that situation. At this point, her mind fell into despair. She thought, I'm going to die because I look like some sort of monster and everyone is too afraid to stop. I could see how that would be discouraging. So out of desperation, Mary starts walking in the middle of the road. And that is when the second car stops. A couple on their honeymoon who had lost their way to their resort and stopped and, and agreed to help Mary. They gently put Mary into their truck and told her to lay still. Mary remembers how fast they sped down the road to the nearest phone. She thought they were going to get into a wreck. They called paramedics and a rescue helicopter was deployed. Once secured in the hospital, they discovered that Mary had lost over half, over 50% of the blood in her body. The remaining blood had become toxic. Most people do not survive such a state, but Mary did. She refused to die. Miraculously. It was 10 days later when authorities identified and arrested Mary's attacker. His name was Lawrence Singleton, who had been dubbed the Mad Chopper by media outlets. The next time Mary saw her attacker was in court. Six months after the assault, Mary Vincent faced Singleton at his trial where her testimony helped to convict him. Mary agreed to sit 10 to 15 feet from her attacker. She agreed to sit in court that close to him. Singleton was convicted of rape and attempted murder. She didn't die, so it wasn't murder. He was sentenced to 14 years in prison, the maximum allowed by law in California at the time. The presiding judge remarked, If I had the power, I would send him to prison for the rest of his unnatural life. But his hands were tied. He could only send him away for the maximum 14 years. As Mary left the courtroom that day, she had to pass within just inches of her attacker, Singleton. According to Mary, no one else heard it, but according to Mary, he whispered, if it is the last thing I do, I will finish the job, implying that he intended to kill Mary. While Vincent, Mary Vincent, won a 2.56 million civil judgment lawsuit against Singleton, she was unable to collect it because he was dead broke, revealed that he was unemployed, in poor health, and had only $200 in savings. Mary Vincent moved on. She moved forward. She got married. She became a loving mother of two. But unfortunately... The story does not end there. Along with the particularly gruesome and callous aspect of the crime, the case became even more notorious after Singleton was paroled after serving only eight years in prison. He was able to re reduce his time through good behavior and working as a teaching assistant in a prison classroom. Singleton was paroled to Contra Costa County, California, but no town would accept his presence, so he had to live in a trailer on the grounds of San Quentin Prison until his parole ended a year later. Mary heard that Singleton had been set free and was haunted by uh, his promise to hunt her down and, quote, finish the job. According to Time Magazine, as authorities attempted to settle him uh, in one Bay Area 
town after another. Angry crowds in Tampa's chapter of Guardian Angels led protests, screamed, picketed, and eventually prevailed. That's why he had to stay on a trailer on the prison grounds. You know you're a POS. If uh, the only place you can go when you're set free is the a trailer on the prison grounds. The outrage at this sentence resulted in legislation supported by Mary Vinson, which prevents the early release of offenders who have done a crime that involves torture. In 1987, Singleton's parole made a bill get passed. California's, quote, Singleton bill, which carries a 25 years to life sentence. So change did come out of this because Mary is such a badass and helped make it happen and agreed to face him in court. She's an amazingly strong person. The leniency of the legal system shocked and outraged many. Uh, one journalist who interviewed him, Singleton, uh, remarked, What was most surprising to me, however, was not his sentence. It was that Larry Singleton had worked his crimes around in his mind to completely, or so completely, that they did not warrant punishment at all. Right before Singleton's parole ended, Donald Stahl, the uh, uh, Stanislaus County prosecutor at Singleton's trial, said, I think, if anything, he's worse now. He has not taken responsibility. He lives in a bizarre fantasy land and acquits himself each day. He doesn't accept his guilt and won't promise to not do it again. Great. But a great outcome from the legal system. Singleton returned to his native Florida after his release in 1990, uh, after just eight years of repeatedly raping and, and, and chopping off Mary's arms. In 1990, he was twice convicted of theft. He stole a $10 disposable camera and a $3 hat. When he was sentenced for these crimes, he described himself to the judge as, quote, a confused and muddle-headed old man. So, not much slap on the wrist from that. But in the spring of 1997, a neighbor called police to report Singleton assaulting a woman in his home in Sulphur Springs, Florida. When police responded, they found the dead body of Roxanne Hayes. She had been stabbed multiple times in the upper body. Hayes was a mother of three. The justice system failed here. Failed her. And Mary was not having it. A mother of three. Dead from a man who was set free after eight years of doing something similar. Attempting to do something similar to Mary Vincent. Mary traveled from California to Tampa to appear at Singleton's sentencing to face him again in court. During her testimony, she described Singleton's attack and the toll the ordeal had taken on her. The judge sentenced Singleton to death this time. Good. Singleton died in 2001 of cancer in a prison hospital at the North Florida Reception Center in Stark, Florida. He was 74 years old. Mary said, I didn't feel relief when he died. I needed to know what was in... That dark soul of his. I felt I was robbed of that opportunity. But because of my sons, I saw the relief on their faces. And that made me realize, okay, that's good enough closure for me. I don't have to worry about my son's lives anymore. <laughs> it is God It is God and my sons that keep me going. I didn't die. I'm a survivor. Mary Vincent. And she's alive now today loving mother of, of two she has a prosthetic uh pretty prosthetic hooks for hands basically but she can grip things and she moved on with her life and 
miraculously still happy of a person. But just a horrendous story. But also, what I want to focus on was Mary herself, not all the horrible things that happened to her, and how strong of a person she is. So, hope you enjoyed that story, Huda Thunkers. Like I said, it was dark. I did give you some warnings. If you want to check it out, there is an episode. Uh, a and E did an episode of I Survived, and they how they do that episode. They have multiple survivors tell their stories. Mary's one of them, um, and I felt hers was the most um, miraculous. I also what turned me on to this story. What what put me onto the story was uh, a meme about Mary, and throughout that interview, she was using she was you know blotting her eyes as a great picture. Really sells it. She's using her prosthetic hook hand to. Uh, Grip, grip a uh, napkin to uh, or a tissue to get the tears away from her face. Good television there. Hope you enjoyed episode 128, Hootathunkers. Until next week, um, see you later. Mm-hmm.